podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber, and this show is part of the 99.94 Network. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience via Spotify Live. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Cam says, how many Heinekens should the Irish and Scots be buying the Dutch team for beating South Africa and finishing fourth to automatically qualify for the 2024 World Cup? Uh, given that only two out of those three teams would have been able to qualify um, for Europe, this is quite a big deal. And why weren't the TV commentators making a bigger moment about it? They probably didn't notice. Um, to be fair, when you're calling a game, you're not you maybe not looking at all those things. And especially in that situation, it w- that's the sort of thing you probably would only think about towards the end of the game. And at that stage, perhaps they were thinking it was a slightly bigger deal that everything else is going on but yes i think all things considered it's very it's a huge game for european cricket uh because it makes uh, the qualification for um what means that there's guaranteed as you say two european teams with england as well um in in the next world cup and then two more that will qualify um as well so uh and they should qualify unless something goes horribly wrong or maybe another team comes up and gets really good but um, I think from that perspective, yeah, it's, uh, it is really big. But yeah, I would say it's just one of those things that that's the sort of thing if you went into the game. Just let me turn my mic. Um, that's the sort of thing I think that's the sort of thing if you went into the game, um, I think you would, uh, with, with thinking the Netherlands had a realistic chance, someone would pass on. And during the game, you as a commentator, you just sometimes you get very caught up in the actual game itself. Um, so that's probably why they missed it. Because um, yeah, who I'm trying to think. If someone like Murgatroyd was there, he probably would have been on top of that. Um, maybe not a harsher thing. This is part of the reason you need journalists, or not not journalists, but you know, journalism-led broadcasters rather than just former players, because former players react to things. Um, you know, there were certain times when you know you, you're watching the coverage, and Brian Murgatroyd, for instance, that the cam, the the commentator they had down on the boundary. I really like that, and obviously other sports do it. They did it in a very ham-fisted way, and then they made them call balls, which is not why you would ever get that to happen. Um, but having someone who is on mic down near the boundary, down near the dugout, um, that can see things that others can't see is actually a really good thing to have on the broadcast. But you did see that when Brian Murgatroyd was doing it, there was a slightly different level of competence in it. Um, Pommy was quite good at it as well at times, uh, just n- not not because he's smarter than anyone else, just, but just because he's a broadcaster first and a journalist first, um, you know, and he's thinking about things in a slightly different way, which means, you know, he was looking to add to the package, whereas everyone else was, oh, that crowd's getting into it. Yeah, it's, well, it's a crowd. We get that. But what, what you know, you're down on the boundary to tell us something specific. So, um, yeah, that might have just been a failure from that p- perspective. I, do, I, I don't know at... Um, how the Sunset and Vine crew do it for the ICC. But I know that at Star, they have a um, uh, like a cricket producer type person who is a former jo- journalist. They might even have a couple of people like that to basically find those sorts of things. I wouldn't have thought that would be a – having watched the ICC coverage, I wouldn't have thought that is a thing that they have uh, within that. But a lot of the broadcasts now are hiring journalists, not on mic but off mic, to pick those sorts of things up. Um, you know, uh, you know, to check Twitter and oh, this this is a this is something that someone else has picked up and we haven't picked up yet. Because you got to remember, in the commentary box, 
you are a bit walled off. You're walled off from the rest of the press. Comp- uh, the rest of the press. You obviously walled off from uh, you know people online and everything else. And you're literally in, in a group of ten, eight or ten people. And when you come off air, it's very hard to just go back in and start watching the game again really closely. Anyway, um, you know you have to give yourself a break. Maybe go for a walk. Probably go to the toilet. <laughs> All those sorts of things, right? And so. That's why you need to hire people that actually help with that sort of stuff. Um, and I, some set environment might, and the person might have just missed it, or it might have been passed on. Sometimes those notes are passed on, and um, they're passed on at the worst possible time, if that, uh, and you can't get them into the broadcast. I, I, I couldn't um, tell you on that one. Christopher says, uh, where would you put Adol Rashid's form today? Um, <laughs> Now, Christopher has sent this two days ago, everyone. Uh, poor Christopher. Um, seems like he can still bowl economical in some games, but a deep, big drop in wickets. Uh, what should England do for succession planning? Um, obviously, in that time between then, he's bowled very well against, Eng- uh, against India. Uh, I talked about this a little bit on the YouTube, actually, because I think I'd already seen your question. It was already something that um, I had in the back of my mind. Um, it, I would have to go deep into his record to see if it's a proper thinning of wickets. Sometimes what happens is when bowlers get really successful, there is a natural um, decline in wickets, and that's because teams start playing them in a different way, especially uh, when they are high-end wicket takers. So we've seen that with Sun on our own. We saw that with Rashid Khan. We saw that with Boovy. Um, you know, and it's it's probably – I'm sure there are other bowls in other leagues that's happened to, but those are the ones that – spring to my mind automatically and so it could be that although I wouldn't have thought it's that I think it would be more likely to be what you're talking about my guess is that he probably bowls more front of the hand deliveries now whereas before he bowled uh, more back of the hand deliveries and by that he's trying to skid the ball through a little bit more and I would assume that's because he is unable to get the same amount of revs that he once got onto the ball uh, and if once you start stop getting those amount of revs on, you're probably more of an economical bowler rather than a, um, uh, a rather than a than a frontline um, uh, uh, wicket taking option type bowler. And uh, if I, and I could be completely wrong, but I'm just assuming that that's what it is. And I'm basing this on something I saw with Brad Hogg once, where when he stopped putting as many revs on the ball, uh, he became a little bit easier to pick off and, and he, di- he didn't have anything to, he didn't have the, the great front of the hand game the way that, that, that um, Adol Rashid certainly does. Um, and, but it changed his profile as a bowler. And if you're saying Adol Rashid has changed his profile as a bowler, which is very possible, um, then that is certainly something uh, um, that, that, that might be doing that. And so more front of the hand balls means that he's being pushed around for singles more, but he's not getting the dip spin and the bounce that he was getting before. Uh, oh, as far as the succession planning, I mean, you can't, you know, you either say Parkinson is the next guy or whoever else they think is out there um, or they don't. And there's, you know, there's there's no cheating those sorts of things, right? You know, um, they've been hoping for years to have other great spinners and they haven't been producing them. Uh, Prashant says, you compared the current Indian batting talent measurement being similar to Australia in the late 90s. Yep. Uh, if your friend Raul Dravid, it's good, my friend Raul Dravid, uh, were to sign you as the lead analyst to work with Indian cricket, what metrics would you use to help him pick and nurture batters for each of the three formats? It's a really tricky one um, just because I've never had to work on that level where you have to worry about how you develop players cross formats, which is a really, really interesting problem for India to have to work out specifically going ahead. Um, a, for And it's, you know, so someone like Jasper Brummer, um, uh, 
you want him to play in test matches, but you also, do you think that in a test match you can replace him more than you can in other formats of cricket? So how many, how much does that sort of thing come in? Uh, you know, you would have depth charts for, you know, do you, let's say you have a depth chart of new ball bowlers. Do you move Jasper Brummer for, even though he should be number one in all three, do you move him further down the depth chart on say test match bowling? And you say to him, look, we don't want you to play all the test matches, but we would perhaps like you to play the major series, but also if we're playing a series that we want to win, would we be able to play with you? Those are the sorts of conversations I think they're going to have to start having with players. To be fair, England will probably the first to do that. It's really tricky though. Like most players will just tell you they want to play all the time. Um, so that's how you do it with your high-end players. The low-end players, you have to make real assumptions on players and that's where you can get things very wrong. I think you can get more things wrong in the Indian system than you can in anyone else's just because there is so much more talent to pick from. Um, and... I also think as long as you don't make anything you do uh, so, I was going to say didactic, maybe that's not the right word, but so absolute that you can't go back on it. So, let, you know, let's have a look at someone like Washington Sundar. We know that um, he's probably going to have a better career in white ball cricket than in red ball cricket. And he's a bit of a skiddy bowler. He doesn't spin it that much. He's also going to be clashing with Ashwin in the first part of his career. You probably don't want two tall off spinners. Um, you don't probably need them in the same side. And, um, but, you think to yourself, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to push him towards white ball cricket, but how do we then also keep him available if we need him in red ball cricket? And he, he's so talented that he got them away for a couple of games for India, but quite often that's not going to happen. So is there a schedule? And you really, I think you need incredible event planning skills uh, as a coach so or as an analyst or whoever whoever is in charge of that to be able to have a look at all these things and really say okay so go and, and then you have to be really open and honest with the conversations and you've got to remember that as most of the players are not going to be used to being left out of sides right that's not what they've done throughout their career they are the best of the best and they have most of them are going to have absolutely been the best player or in the best three players of every team they've ever played in talent wise so you need to say that this isn't about dropping this isn't about um, even resting. This is about making sure that when you play for India in this particular format, you are the best player you have. So then you look at individual metrics on talent um, evaluation. And what you would really want to do is you would want to match up the most advanced metrics that India has available to them. Hopefully they have, would hope, if I was working with them, hopefully they would have ball tracking all the way through their domestic cricket. Um, and you can match that up with ball by ball data, of course. Um, and then on top of that, um, you know, you would be looking for key um, metrics that would show that this person is an above average player in this situation or this situation, and then try and match them up. But also have the conversation with them, make, you know, with the, with the players themselves, also with their domestic coaches, which I think is undervalued, of saying, okay, we think this guy, let, well, let's go back to Washington Sundar because I know him really well. We think this guy is going to play in... Um, uh, probably going to play as our backup spinner in in T20 in one day cricket and our backup spinner in T20 cricket. And what we want to do is develop him to a situation where he can bat in the top seven um, and play that role. But you're his coach. What's the best way to use him in red ball cricket? We, we want to bat him at number six or number seven. We've seen he can open. Can he open on, you know, a grassy pitch in England? Can he open on a bouncy pitch in Australia? Can he be, uh, open on a, on a seeming wicket in South Africa? Yes, no, yes. Okay, 
All right. So if we do that, then he's a potential backup opener for that series, which gives us an extra spinner in the top seven, which means we can pick extra pace bowler. Right. Those are the sorts of conversations that you want to start having. And then you can check that, you know, you check the um, what the coach has said with the, the ball by ball data or that or in this case, the ball tracking data. So, OK, he said he's good. Can we get every time the ball's moving more than this percentage? Is he above average player or a below average player? That's what we need to know now. That's how you start to do all that sort of stuff. It's not easy. I don't think any team, even England, is quite got their head around it perfectly. But those are the sorts of conversations that you have to have. Um, and that's how you – and then probably the best case scenario is that India could have a team where they have um, where they have specialists in uh, – they have a specialist 11 in each thing and they're still world-class in all three. That would probably be the best case scenario. And then eventually you hope that they're, they're you know, they're so fit – um, and and available, and then you can use the backups from the other formats. And that won't happen, though. Everything I've just said there won't happen. Uh, Thomas says, if I gave you a decent budget, coaching team fixtures, and two years between now and the next T20 World Cup, how far can Associate Nation go? Well, I've just been demoted from the Indian team, um, Thomas. Uh, okay, so if I if you gave me a good budget, the first thing is that you know, associate cricket would need a significant amount of a budget. I'm not sure how much I can do in two years with a associate team to take them from, let's say, to what's Sri Lanka's the seventh best team. And then we've got a whole bunch of teams from eight through to 12 or 13. So a high-end team in that is... Um, uh, let's say the Dutch at the moment, Namibia, Scotland, um, uh, off the top of my head. So how do we get them to the Sri Lanka level is the question. I'm not sure that's possible in that two years, right? Because what you're really talking about is the depth of cricket that they are going to be playing over a long period of time. Think about the quality of cricket that a Sri Lankan cricketer plays by the time they get to the Sri Lankan team and think about the quality of cricket uh, that an associate cricketer plays before they get to their team that i can't replicate right what i can do is go okay they're gonna have to play their players in all these other formats for the next two years we're only going to play t20 cricket um i think scotland was a team that had a big jump when they did i wouldn't say they did that completely but when they focused on t20 cricket right and they had a big jump in their t20 cricket because of that um and, and so I, I certainly think that plays a part. So that's one thing that I'd be looking at doing. Uh, and then I'd be hoping to get them at the top of that third tier, right? Of you've got your six teams, you've got Sri Lanka in the middle, you've got West Indies floating on the side, but should be where Sri Lanka is really. And then you've got all these other teams, Zimbabwe and Ireland and uh, the Netherlands and Namibia, um, all those sides in this other section. And what I really want is for them to be the best team in that group, even better than, you know, Afghanistan and Ireland. Um, and if I give myself two years of that, so what, what I would do is first is I would go out and call all my friends in franchise cricket and I would try and sell off a bunch of my players so that they get 10 or 15 games in a bunch of different leagues. I'd try and make sure that all of my top eight players would have played in at least one key league, even if it's just lower end. Um, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't need, they don't need to be a, uh, in, in one of the major, major leagues, but as long as they're in a, a T20 league where they have to pay a play for their pay, um, and they're in uh, a different environment that they're used to, um, to be able to do that. So that's one thing I would do. Um, 
the next thing I would do is I would like literally go through enroll definition, but then make sure that all the training over the next two years was training them for role definition. So if I have a guy who I'm thinking is going to bowl 50% of my last four overs, then every time he goes to training, he has to be bowling at the death. Right. I, I need to be able to, I need to be able to in a situation, be able to do that. But I still don't think in two years time, you shouldn't anyway, unless Sri Lanka and the West Indies continue to struggle. And, and even Bangladesh should be in that, in that tier as well. I don't think you can overcome just the sheer amount of top quality cricket that those younger players have played at that level with the associate teams. So that's my biggest concern, but I do think that you can at least get them towards the top of that tier uh, by doing that. But I don't think, unless, unless you, with all that money, I somehow find a Rashid Khan or a Bumrah or a Tim David type player. I really don't think that you can transform uh, into a team that can be consistently good against the top six sides. doesn't mean that they can't beat them, but consistently um, compete against them. So even Ireland's not at that level yet. And even Afghanistan's not quite at that level yet. Aditya says, how would you judge Aaron Finch's white ball career as a batter and a leader? Uh, would you rank him am among Australia's top five ODI batters? Uh, and how do you see his role as a leader in post-sandpaper game? Top five ODI batters. If you factor in T20 internationals in that, he probably is. Um, but, he, yeah, I mean, you've got – there are certainly players. Um, I'm not sure if he is top five, but he's probably fringe top five. I'd have to go through the numbers really carefully um, to have a look at that. But you've obviously got Bevan. Um, you've got – yeah, Bevan, Warner, Jones, Ponting, um, Simons. So it's a strong list to get him into that. Uh, there's, you know, a few different players and a few different kinds of uh, lists. Oh, he's going to end up with more runs than some of them. But did he quite have the same impact? Um, so from that perspective, he's probably top 10, isn't he? And it, if you just mean ODIs, I'd have to look a little bit again. Um, if you're looking at ODIs and T20s, um, uh, that's a separate conversation uh his his role as lead is quite interesting because pain of the test team is far more held in regard in australia than anything else so pain was always going to get the more attention langer gets a lot of attention because he's langer um and so that has certainly been a part of it but i think finch definitely played a big part in that role uh, i think someone asked me about this recently and i don't know if it was on this podcast but he has a a very different depending on where you come from um, I think as a casual fan, he kind of is slightly under the radar. I think as a hardcore fan, he's there, but you know he's not quite one of the elite Australian talents. And I think as a um, person who's in cricket, you realise how highly he's held in regard within um, Australian cricket. Um, and so somewhere in the middle of all that is where his legacy will go. But I kind of expect him to fade away from a legacy um, perspective um, because I don't think he is top five or you know, in, in that way. And I do think the pain got more of the attention. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it, it's interesting how often on this podcast and on YouTube, I'm asked about Aaron Finch and his legacy. So it's, a you know, for instance, almost never asked about Martin Guptill, right? And Martin Guptill, I would say in some ways is probably a similar kind of player. Both of them have been around forever. They both didn't quite make it in test cricket. Everyone knows their name. Uh, Martin Guptill, probably not as good as an IPL player, which is interesting. Um, uh, but you know, but Finch is just that person that everyone has connected with. And I feel like Martin Guptill is maybe a player that people did not, 
um, connect with quite in the same way. Lost my Will says, uh, what do you think will be the next young associate cricketer that will be a breakout star? So there's, uh, is, I'm going to get his name wrong. Is it Kartik Mayapan, the leg spinner from the UAE? He looks really good to me. Um, technically very sound, very skillful. Uh, obviously, a hat trick against Sri Lanka, I want to say. Um, Aravin from UAE also looks quite good. Um, Baz the leader, you know, he's already, I mean, I don't know if you're counting him as someone who has broken out or is about to break out. Uh, he's, you know, but he's probably on the, in the middle ground between those two things. Incredible athlete. Obviously, hasn't played enough cricket at the top level, so there's a lot that he needs to learn. But that's the sort of thing we, that goes back to Thomas's question before. That's the, you know, in Dutch cricket, you can only learn so much because you're not going up against, you know, uh, it, the same collected cricket knowledge and talent. Um, and so even though he comes from a, you know, his father was a uh, cricketer for the Dutch, um, you can see when he plays, he... I want to think of a better way than saying rookie mistakes, but he has a lot of errors where you just go, ah, oh, he's made, that's not right. But in a couple of years, he'll work that out. Like slow balls was a perfect example of, I don't think he, you know, he bowls, he can probably touch 90 miles an hour, certainly very close to it, which is incredible for someone who can bat. In Dutch cricket, he probably never had to develop a slow ball, right? He plays against England and, and West Indies and all these teams and they're suddenly biffing him everywhere. And you could see in what, four months time that he's got a slow ball. Uh, so I don't know where you have him. He's certainly someone that I would have at the top of my list. Uh, who else have we got? Breakout players. Uh, I like Aaron Jones uh, from America. I don't know what his age is, though. He might be a bit too old. I, he, he looks like, to me, a very, very smart player. He knows his game very well. I've actually got one of his shirts here somewhere. Um, so, yeah, so I think I find him a very interesting player, but he might be too old to be your breakout player. Um Obviously, Blessing is not from an associate team, but he's, you know, from Zimbabwe point of view, uh, probably going to be on a similar path. I'm trying to think if I'm missing anyone else. I can't think of anyone else. I think America will be the next interesting one. And there's a lot of interesting women coming through. I think we'll have a lot of breakout associate um, stars from the women's game, partly because of fair break, but also because um, uh, there's a lot of different places in the world that are suddenly investing money and time into their women's cricket. And you might get, you might have more situations like Brazil and Thailand and, you know, where you suddenly have these players who are very, very good, but are not from traditional countries. Um, but because suddenly they've got coaching and facilities available, they've, they've you know, had this uh, spike. Um, but yeah, I think certainly my app and, uh, and certainly uh, Baz the leader, they are the two, Right off the top of my head, I feel like I'm missing a young batter from so. Oh, um, um, uh, there's a young batter coming through from Scotland who I always forget the name of, plus the guy who made the runs for Scotland. Uh, uh is it Michael Jones? Um, so there's a couple of players there. Uh, and do we count Mark Watt? Probably not. Has Mark Watt has he has he arrived? Will he probably has, hasn't he? Um, James says, I don't watch much T20, so maybe I'm missing something obvious, but what is it about Pat Cummins' bowling that makes him apparently so much less effective in the format than Test cricket? This is good. I, I, I saw this question when it came in. It came into my email, James, and I probably should do a video on this now. Um, you've said it. There's a really interesting thing that I saw. Uh, so the Sky Cricket Channel in the UK after the games, they've been you know just putting up other stuff, and they showed the 2021 victory. And so it was Gilchrist and Pat Cummins sitting in a cinema room watching the game record and recording themselves chat. And at one stage, Gilchrist talks about bowling and Cummins says, yeah, the best ball though in any format is still the one that just hits the top of the off stump. 
And it really did show me, if you, you take that kind of thinking and then you talk to R. Ashwin, how far apart the thinking is between those two players, both very smart players, um, both very accomplished, both absolute probably, well, test, if they retired now, they're both, you know, test legends, right? Um, however, one of them has thrown himself into T20 thinking. The other one's still like just top of off, top of off. Now, if the ball's doing anything, top of off is fine in T20 cricket. Later on in the game, top of off travels. Um, and if you look at Cummins uh, as a T20 bowler, if, sorry, if you look at him as a test bowler, let's go back to that. He used to swing the ball a lot. He stopped swinging it, and he used to be absolutely top-level express, you know, Nokia, um, Mark Wood pace. He's no longer that, right? When he was those two things, uh, swinging that white ball around made him almost impossible to play, and bowling at that pace, it didn't matter if he didn't ball, move the ball that much. Mark Wood doesn't move the ball laterally, laterally that much, right? Just slowing it down a little bit, as Cummins has, for control, I think he still has that upper gear, although we very rarely see it. But for control, he's pulled that back. He's also gone to the wobble ball, which is, you know, no doubt a very good ball in T20 cricket, but only for four overs, let's say, which he very rarely gets to bowl those first four overs as well. And what it means is that if you watch the wobble ball, you don't get the same sort of exaggerated movement. So he's not getting a lot of lateral movement and he's bowling high 80s, low 90s rather than mid 90s. Still quick. And then the other thing that I would say is that he's not getting, his slower ball is not as effective as Nokia's, right? Nokia has a great slower ball. Uh, and he, I, I felt that Nokia got a lot better as a T20 bowler when he had that. Mark Wood doesn't seem to need that because Mark Wood's main delivery is so effective in T20 cricket. But sometimes you do see when Mark Wood goes for runs, a lot of it is because he doesn't have a very good slower ball. Cummins is bowling a little bit slower. He doesn't get exaggerated sideways movement with that white ball. And he doesn't have a really top level slower ball. I will say that I saw a couple of times in this tournament where he was swinging the ball more than he has for a while. And I got the feeling that he was doing that because he realized he had to upskill himself a little bit. But, but there's absolutely no doubt from that perspective that if you look at Cummins, I'm not sure what his main T20 skill is other than being Pat Cummins at the moment. And so he really does have to do that. So I'll try and expand that into a whole video, um, uh, James, uh, at one stage. But I do think it is really, really interesting that, it, you know, the more I've been thinking about it, I'm not sure what his main skill is in T20 cricket because he's not using his accuracy as good as some other bowlers are. I think you might mention that in the rest of the, the, question, the question as well. Um, he's not using his accuracy in a way that we've seen uh, Sam Curran or um, – Boovy or Peter Siddle, right? Some of those guys have used accuracy as a weapon. He doesn't seem to be doing that. He doesn't have many theories as a T20 bowler, which goes back to that conversation that he had with Adam Gilchrist. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that there is a, uh, he, has, he just hasn't spent enough time thinking about it. And then, you know, he's still really talented. He actually still profiles as an above average T20 talent when you look at his overall numbers. It's just that we've seen him fail so many times now that we also know that he could be a lot better than he is. Kennedy says, uh, how many hours a week would a test cricketer on average put into stamina and resistance training and how many hours into skills and training? Uh, oof. I don't know because I haven't worked with test cricketers specifically. I think you'd be shocked at 
they don't do as much work as you think. And part of the reason is it's because of the schedule. So they spend so long, um, uh, you know, traveling and playing that they don't spend as much time on that sort of thing. But I'll, I'll give you a very good tip here. When um, I think it was Jake Weatherold um, released his schedule for COVID and it was, you know, he, he said he was spending 40 hours a week on um, preparing to be a better cricketer. And all the cricketers in the world started going, whoa, look at Jake Weatherall. Tells you how little the rest of them are doing. That's a, like a normal week. Um, and I do think that part of it is because of the travel cycle. And, and also the first professional sort of cricket was county cricket. And that is so, that so much goes on in that county season. You almost can't do proper training and you can't do proper fitness and everything else. And I do think there's a that slightly affects the rest has slightly affected the rest of cricket. Um, so yeah, I would say that is um, I would say that is the most um, uh, uh, best way I can answer that. But I don't have the numbers just because I've never worked with them. Uh, the the follow up question was, what is the weirdest cricket specific workout you have seen? I don't know if it's a workout, but Glenn Phillips is the only player I've ever seen who who, when he was a wicketkeeper, used to train for every eventuality. So he would get the ball or a ball, when the bowlers would come in on the practice wickets, if they bowled a slower ball, he'd take the glove off and throw the ball underarm at the stumps. Then he would take the glove off the next time and throw the ball at the other stumps. Then he would practice just taking some with one glove off. Um, he would um, make sure that the balls would fall um, short of him. He would get sometimes get too close um, so that the balls would, would shock him a little bit. And then he would get the, he would go into wicket keeping position and have the fielding coach hit the ball up in the air back over his head. So he had to run back and take the catches. I've ne still never seen a wicketkeeper, and there was more. There was way more that he did, um, practicing running out to square leg after balls and things like that. Um, I've still never seen a wicketkeeper prepare to that level uh, before a game, and that was five years ago maybe. Um, although I haven't been in many games in the last two years, have I? But, but yeah, so that was something that I always remembered. Ian says, with Phil Simmons gone and not a lot of money available, relatively speaking, uh, and poor, poorly performing white ball and the unique inter-Ireland rivalries that exist in West Indies, how would you sell that job opportunity to a top quality coach? Well, you can live in Barbados. <laughs> Some Lucia. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think the money's terrible. I don't know what the money is. Uh, my memory was that it's not bad. Most of the international jobs are quite well paid. Um, Certainly it's not, you know, you're still better off to be an assistant coach in, in England quite often or an IPL coach. So there is that. It's not that well paid, um, but it's a good job from that perspective. Yeah, I think what we'll see is we'll see a lot of young, hungry coaches going for jobs like that. And then the more um, older coaches who are already proven themselves will be will start to go more towards franchises Um in in that way um but i don't think it's that hard to sell anyone anyone who knows anything about cricket in the west indies knows how talented cricketers in the west indies are so i don't think anyone's terrified from that perspective ian um yeah there's a, it's a big job and as you said the politics and the, and you know the west indies cricket board there's lots of different factors to it but i think if you're a coach trying to prove your worth um if you you know, I could see a lot of people taking it up with high hopes and then probably having broken dreams rather than people not taking it up at all. But what you won't get probably is, I don't know, the let's call them the Tom Moody set, um, you know, that level of experience coach who's already done international cricket and done IPL. I don't, unless they're struggling for a job and need to get back into the news, I wouldn't think any of them would take that job. Um, 
But there's a lot of international jobs I think are getting towards that. I don't think that's a West Indies specific thing either. Right. Um, let's see what we've got in the room. All right, James. Hey, James. Oh, James is one that never works, is it? But he's written these questions down, I think. Oh, my God. He's written about 10 questions. Uh, how do you see the future of Australia's T20 and ODI side? I'll do that one, James. Um, yeah, remember, you can put your hand up, everyone, and you can ask questions. How do I see the future? I think because they were embarrassed at home, I think there will be a lot of deep conversations within the Australian setup to whether they are preparing their players as best they could for this. And I think they might try and go towards a specialist situ situation where, yes, um, some there will be crossovers between the players, but I think that we will probably see a slight moving on from just picking the best 11 most talented players. Well, it's not even that, is it? It's probably like the seven most talented players and then topping it up with a little bit of uh, T20 slash one-day specific skills. So I think there will be a move on um, from in the way that they think about things. And I think they will, from here on in, prepare a lot better for major tournaments than they have before. I think they were getting towards that last time when they won the tournament they thought they didn't have to. Um, but I think being the fact they've been a bit embarrassed at home um, might change things up a little bit. So that's where I, I'm thinking that they, they will go. So I think there might be a bit of a change in the mindset, which will go th all the way through to selection and coaches and 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 everything else. Uh, anyone else wants to ask a question, you can. Um, so on top of the Pat Cummins thing, which I might do now because of James, uh, interested in looking at KL Rahul's numbers because I had a question on the thing today after he failed again where – Someone said, oh, you have to now admit that he's no longer in um, uh, a good player. And so I've looked up his record against individual bowlers. And he, I think he averages over 90 against Jasper. No, he averages over 100 against Jasper Brommer, I think. 90 against Joffre Archer. Um, and some of the bowlers he has bad records against are like Glenn Maxwell and um, Cool Carney, the little um, medium pacer. Um, I can't even remember the last time he played. Um He's taken him four times, and I don't think anyone else has, but against the best bowlers in the world, and like, like bowlers like Malinga, uh, Kale Roll has an incredible record, uh, which is uh, very interesting. So, yeah, I think that was something I'll do, uh, depending on mine and Charlie's uh, schedule, I'm doing a big matchup thing for the World Cup, which if you're listening live will probably be out by Saturday um, or Friday, hopefully. Um, I'm trying to think what else I was going to do. Yeah, Sam Curran. I'm going to do a quick video on Sam Curran as well um, uh, or an article and a video on Sam Curran. So I've got a couple of ideas before the World Cup uh, available to me. Uh, Ashish is going to have a go again. All right, Ashish, let's see how you go. It's not working, is it? Uh, James has uh, uh, written another one in the comments here, which is uh, why could Warner not do a thing in this World Cup? That's what happens in World Cup sometimes. You don't make runs. Um, we've seen him go on great runs where he's made a lot of runs, and we've seen him go on on um, bits where he hasn't. I, I think if you look at his record over the last couple of years, his numbers are still pretty good, certainly not no longer in his peak. Um, and we have seen him have some sort of comical runs where he hasn't uh, made anything. But honestly, that's just how T20 cricket works. You sometimes then you make runs um, and, and you sometimes don't. There's no, you know, it's only... Uh, what did they play? Four games? 
And so what you're really saying is, why did he not make runs in four games? Well, any player can not make runs in four games. Bradman aside. All right, let's... Ashish is not working. Let's try Alan. Alan, are you there? Alan? Hello. Oh, finally. I was starting to think it was me, but it's not me. It's everyone else. Hey, Jan, what's your question? Good, yeah. Um, I was just wondering, so players like Tim Southey, maybe, he's even T20 and Testy, but not the I team. How do you think that kind of comes back? So they're obviously good at white ball and red ball, but just don't go to ODI. The opposite with Shai Ho and the players who are in ODI but not in Test or T20. Yeah, I think I think in Southie's case that he spent a lot of time working out how to be – so so Southie started really young, right? I think he was 18 when he made his debut, and he basically made a debut bowling 82-mile-an-hour outswingers, right? And then after about five or six years, realised he was not going to be able to keep that going, uh, ended up getting this uh, wobble ball from Kyle Mills, which is a slightly different one. It's like the one that Mohamed Siraj bowls. They call it the three-quarter seam. Uh, wobble ball um and that helped him in test cricket uh, a lot because he had the ability to move and then he got the normal wobble ball as well so he had the ability to move the ball around and that kept him relevant in test cricket in t20 cricket he spent a lot of time trying to work out how to make money in the ipl because he had to <laughs> he plays for new zealand he's not like even though he's a very well-known uh player in new zealand he's not um you know brendan mccullum or um, you know, or Kane Williamson. So in order to make the money from his career he needed to, he needed to play a lot of T20 cricket. And he went into the IPL, had a couple of good years as sort of a power play bowler, but didn't have the skills at the back end. I think he worked very hard to be someone who can use the ball uh, well early on and then at the back end occasionally be handy. One day cricket is obviously uh, slightly separate to that. And, and I think that in New Zealand's case specifically, they probably thought they had other bowlers who gave them more flexibility within their one-day setup. So, uh, you know, the ability to uh, bowl a little bit faster and also go, uh, you know, bang the ball into the pitch, which Southie doesn't really give you. Also, um, they, you know, New Zealand like to sort of mix it up at times and, you know, bowl their, their seamers a little bit more in the middle, a little bit more like how some, I suppose a team like Pakistan has. But they also, instead of, uh, instead of England, like having one person who does it, you know, uh, they, they try and uh, toss that up a little bit. Again, that's probably the one part of the game that Saudi hasn't really worked out how to do. And I'm assuming if there was IPL money on the board, uh, he would have worked that out. But I think he very specifically, and he's a very smart um, and talented player, I think he very specifically worked on different parts of his games to make them work. I would have thought that he might have tried it with one-day cricket, but because the other two were working, he may not try it as much. So I think that's why Shy Hope is a very limited player and he doesn't have power. But when you limit the game a little bit in a one-day sense, he's still a, you know, able to make above average amount of runs. Having said that, how many other teams in, in the top seven in the world, maybe in the top eight in the world, would actually have Shy Hope in their batting lineup, right? A lot of that is to do with the fact that he can make long runs in a team that can't make any – no one else can average over 25, right? Um, so I think those are I, I think those are maybe more specific cases, but I do think you'll see a sort of hyper specialization. When we talk about specialization, I think it, the thought is that everyone's going to become like a Harry Gurney type player who can only bowl slower balls at the death. Whereas actually, what it means is that people will work out special skills within that, but they won't always cross over as naturally all three formats. You might find that someone is very good at working out how to stay relevant in Test cricket and also make a big career in, test, in T20 cricket, but maybe that won't work in one days. But you might get other players who can do T20 in one days and other players who can do tests in one days. Does that make sense? Oh, is he gone? Yeah, thanks. No worries. Thanks for your question, mate. All right. Oh, Ashish is going in. 
going in for the third. Um, hey, there you are. Yeah, finally, fourth time lucky. Yeah. Fourth time. God, is that many? Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. so the 23rd Asian free, so that is like a weekly update of that. So yeah, they were doing well on that front. But yeah, so uh, regarding my question, uh, so this is inspired by like how you describe the Bangladesh as the grit and grind business. So me and my friend, we just went into this exercise by comparing the international teams at the D20 World Cup into NBA teams. So we just came up with like England is like the Warriors because like they kind of changed the way D20 cricket is played, like how the Warriors have done. Then like uh, West Indies are the Los Angeles Lakers, like because of their fall from base sort of thing. Uh, I, I, we couldn't come up with what we could come up with for in Australia and India. South Africa, we decided to dub them as the Phoenix Suns because they shot the bed in a like, easily winnable game. So yeah, that's one thing. Came up uh, yeah, so Australia, so you're looking for a team that probably, Australia's kind of like the, do, uh, kind of like the, um, uh, uh, who do I mean? Um, uh, Brooklyn, except they, um, uh, except they won. Would it Pakistan right? be that? The chaotic and that's what we were thinking of. That. Like Brooklyn or Pakistan sort of thing. So because they're very chaotic and. Like, well, I suppose damn talented. So I would have thought I would have thought Brooklyn is more like the Boston Celtics. Uh, sorry, Brooklyn. Uh, I would have thought um, Pakistan is more like the Boston Celtics in that they're basically loading up on one side of the ball, hoping that the other side, will, you know, it's you know, it's Baba and Rizwan is sort of the tail, uh, the um, uh, Tatum and um, and what's his name, um, uh, uh, Brown. Brown. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Where they're chucking up ugly shots over and over again, so they'll get enough points. In so they, but then their defense is so absolutely, um, start you know, great that they can kind of get away with it. Um, yeah, Australia, Australia, yeah, that's an interesting comp. Yeah, I, I think India has to be Philly, don't they? Right, you know, where it, it kind of works on paper, but every year there's like something goes wrong. So if you go back for a few years with, with the 76ers, you know, you know. Um, with you know Jimmy Butler coming in, the Kawhi bounce, yeah, the, and then the Kawhi bounce, yeah, and then you know the, um, then Harden coming in, but Harden not quite being where they needed Harden to be. Um, now them reshaping the team, but that you know they can't get any form or any, I, I don't know. There seems to be something there, but yeah, Australia is weird. I kind of thought Australia just because Australia did that Brooklyn um, uh, style of essentially just going, we'll just get the most talent. And the most talent will completely overcome. But Australia could also perhaps be the heat. Uh, we're literally, you know, um, Australia culture will will get you a over. A winning machine sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we, is New Zealand the Raptors? Where even when they won, <laughs> you don't really rate them? And so we thought that New Zealand are the Bucks because they're, they're consistent. Like they're damn consistent. They don't have they don't have a transcendent player like Giannis. But yeah, uh, yeah they are consistent. Like they will get the whatever, the semis and further. But like, uh, yeah, but the only thing is, yeah, the Bucks won one title, but you don't, if you own that, yeah, they're kind of similar, that's it. They overlook yeah. and like everyone thinks that, you know, they do their thing and yeah, that's it. That's what we talk. Yeah. And then I suppose you would have Sri Lanka would be, I don't know, one of Memphis. Oh yeah, Thunder. They could be the Thunder. You might be right. I don't know if... <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if they're not Memphis or Atlanta because they're slightly better than that. But maybe also it's not going to matter because I, as they're currently constructed anyway, they're not going to win a title. Um, yeah, Afghanistan and, are the Mavs. 
So of course, yeah. Luka and Rush. One player. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's very fair. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I try and I try and do this right across the board. It's something that I've always done pretty naturally as well. Um, this is how my, me and my friends talk about sport. Whether you know it be yeah, Aussie rules football, or in fact, my you know my mate's been. My mate's suddenly really excited. Uh, I think he must have tickets to the final. So he's like, you know, going line by line through all these different teams at the moment on how they are, uh, on how they, um, uh, on how they line up and everything. But yeah, um, it's it's something that I don't probably don't do it a lot publicly. But I just thought with the Bangladesh, it was a really. There's no, I don't think there's any up upside to that team where they win a World Cup, right? As, and I'm talking literally as it's constructed now. We could have break, you know, Litton Dars could play like that every game. Um, Mustafiz's elbow and, and and shoulder and fingers could all be great. And Taskin Ahmed could t- continue to take power play wickets. You know, things can change. But as it's currently um, stated, I don't think, but you do see how they're a team who can be slightly better than they'll ever look on paper and that they will be hard for other teams to get by um, if everything sort of comes together. And they do need an, you know, and, and as far as basketball goes, you know, it, it really is, you know, the 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 bowlers are, you know, the uh, defenders and the batters are the attackers when it comes to T20 yeah, cricket. exactly. And so it does fit from that perspective. Yeah, and it does fit that, you know, you, your bowlers are your spoilers. And, and, you know, then you have a team like, as we said, like uh, Boston, where their defenders are so proactive that their defenders are actually attackers. Um, and that's what the Pakistani bowlers are, aren't they? They're, they're bowling, even though they have a low economy rate, they're actual, they're real skill and why they're better than everyone else is, it is that they can actually disrupt you um, by the way that they go. But uh, thank you very much, mate. Great. It was wor- I think it was worth it. Every, you and I are the only two basketball fans maybe on this uh, th- thread, so it might just be you and me, but I thought it was worth it. Um, cheers for the question. Cheers. Yeah, 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 thanks. All right, everyone, I am... Oh, I can't even him out now um i'm going to call it there because i just did the really long um, mood board as well and uh i now have a voice therapist is that what i call her um and if she finds out i've just done two and a half hours of recording uh she'll be over it um but yeah so i'll be doing some stuff thanks everyone for um supporting this coming live into the room um and everyone else uh you know uh, thanks to bodyline t-shirts go out and listen to all your 99.94 podcasts that you can Team's had a great World Cup and we're, you know, this is just beginning when it comes to 99.94. So uh, support your local podcast, I suppose, is the best way of putting it. And I'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel on 99.94. Remember to download our app or just search for West Indies, India, England, South Africa and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well. There is a link in the show notes. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you because we have a lot of things. You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like the complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia producing podcasts, Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makanda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. 